I have a smile on my face even when I clip chains of 5'9". Because you know what? When I started, I couldn't do that. And look at me, like I overcame the fear and the obstacles and climbing is beautiful. And so like, I'm always pleased with myself with any grade because we should, because why not? <laughs> hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show, where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. Welcome back to your regularly scheduled programming after last week's fantastic pro clinic with our buddy Drew Mack. And y'all, I'm super psyched for you to join me here today as we chalk up for a chat with Maísa Lima. Maísa grew up in a small village in Brazil. She escaped poverty with her mother as they crossed the Mexican border seeking a better life here in the U.S. She spent a decade cleaning houses in the Seattle area, doing whatever it took to realize the American dream that so many of us take for granted. Maiza fell in love with climbing and almost immediately started sending hard sport grades, but she didn't stop there. When routes weren't available, she bolted her own. And she continues to give back to the sport in this way and so many others. Guys, Maiza's super strong. She's climbing into the 513s, but she's also candid with her struggles from a fear of falling to a lack of confidence to the challenges of not having a reliable belay partner and also to the everyday struggles of just having too little time and too little money to live that romanticized quote-unquote dirtbag life. Maiza's story is totally unique, but it's also super relatable. She is a climber, a guide, a route developer, a hustler, and she always seems to have a smile on her face. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. So I am deep into fall projecting mode right now, and I'm working on this 12D called Jesus Wept at Red River Gorge. Um, and it's a pretty long, pumpy route with some super fun and challenging pockets up high as kind of the red point crux. And I am going to need every single advantage I can in order to have the endurance to send this thing, which is why, y'all, I'm doubling up right now on Endurex by Fizzy Vantage. I love this stuff. The beetroot extract and citrulline malate have been shown in studies to boost endurance, stamina, and recovery between repeated efforts, and right now I am definitely repeating efforts like the same crux move over and over and over and over again. So I am psyched that Vantage is the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle and helping me to get there. If you all need to beat the pump, swing on over to fizzyvantage.com to learn more about Endurex and all of their innovative products to support your training and performance. Hit that link in the show notes or use checkout code STRUGGLE15 to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition order. Now, when I'm not projecting, I'm usually out climbing with my kiddos. So a couple weeks ago, I took them out to the red to try their routes that they've been working on. And of course, I want to make sure they're fully protected as they out crimp me on their climbs. And that, my friends, is where Petzl comes in. I got my kiddos in Petzl harnesses and helmets, and they have been long before Petzl came aboard as the official gear sponsor here of The Struggle. I quite literally trust Petzl with my kids' lives, and that is saying a lot. And of course, I use all their gear as well, including their new Sirocco helmet, which goes above and beyond the UIAA and CE helmet standards to give an extra level of protection on the top and side of the helmet. And that's pretty good peace of mind. Whether you're giving your loved ones a catch or just trying hard on your own proj, Petzl's gotcha. Check out all the great stuff they make for us climbers at your local gear shop or head over to Petzl.com to access the inaccessible. 
And lastly, y'all, this episode's also sponsored by Friction Labs Chalk, which I've been using for years because it is just the best. You know who else uses Friction Labs? Past guests of the struggle, including last week's crusher Drew Mack, along with Alex Magos, Justin Salas, and Jordan Cannon, among many others. If it's good enough for them, it's damn sure good enough for us. What's in it, you may ask? Well, magic. But let's talk about what's not in it for a second. I'm talking fillers, rosin, and drying agents. They don't mess with that stuff, which means it lasts longer and it keeps your skin healthier. These guys love helping climbers to perform at their best. Try it risk-free and just see for yourself. That is how psyched they are to help you level up. Enter code STRUGGLE20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. Chalk up less and climb more with Friction Labs. All right, y'all, thank you so much for listening to those ads and supporting those fantastic brands. If you don't want to listen to ads, you can join as a patron, and I'll tell you more about that after this incredible interview with Maiza Lima. Hey, Maiza, it's good to see you. How are you? Welcome to The Struggle. I'm good. Um, I just got home from Kentucky as I was finishing our cabin. And yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to start training again, which sounds really weird, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to bounce around a lot. Are you, are you ever very stationary? Never. Um, yeah, I think that's actually been the biggest struggle in my life right now is not being stationary at all and just trying mm -hmm. to deal with everything and never slipping in the same place and never having the consistency. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking a little bit more about that because I think there's a lot of people who experience that, whether it's just because of work um, or life or kids or whatever, you know, consistency can be a really big struggle. So yeah, before we kind of get specific into your training and your climbing and all of that, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into. Um, and I also want to talk a lot about the Red River Gorge since that's my, my backyard crag here. Uh, but before we nerd out on climbing, um, you've got like a really unique background, a really, really unique story, certainly unique compared to a lot of the climbers that I've had on the show here. And so just in a big picture sense, what does struggle mean to you? What's your relationship with struggle? I think struggle is something that I've learned to embrace in my life pretty early on. Um, growing up poor, learning how to ration food so we could have it um, on a daily basis learning how to live off the land. Um, so it's something that I've always been introduced to ever since I was very little. And I just learned how to deal with it. Um, and so it's just part of my life. And I think it's part of makes who you are. And I would never take it away. Um, I would never change anything because it really, it makes, yeah, it makes you and it makes you uh, understand life and face life with a lot more passion. And and has that carried into how you view struggle in rock climbing specifically? Absolutely. <laughs> I think in rock climbing, the biggest struggle for me was confidence. I've, because I also carried that from my past. And so mm -hmm. being able to have the confidence and understanding what I could and could not do was pretty huge. Um, and so like, I only started climbing to my potential when I started believing myself a little bit more. 
Well, I'm excited to dive into that. That'll be a rich chapter for us here as we get into kind of the specifics of of your climbing and of your training. And you mentioned that you just got home and you're going to be kind of diving into some training here. And so let's look at the training lens for a second. Where have you struggled in your training? Right now, consistency. Um, there is, hmm. there hasn't been any actual training in the last two years that were actually like follow through. Um, the last training that I actually did that was like, okay, I have the time. It was during the pandemic because I was home and I could rely on my hangboard and on my, you know, on my psych and just, just do it. Um, but the last two years I've been so busy that if I start, I can't carry it on because I'm always driving, always on the road, um, just hustling. And so it's, again, it, it has hit that confidence where I'm like, I know I am nowhere near my strongest. And so, and that affects me on the wall because I would just blame on my fitness level and I haven't climbed, like right now, I haven't climbed much. Like in the last two months, I've probably been on the wall. You can count it, you know, in one hand. So it's, hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's been a struggle for sure. So when you are training and your schedule is very disrupted like that, and I think, again, a lot of people can probably relate to that. I've got two young kids and two jobs and you know, you, you write out this ideal training plan where you're like, I know this is going to get me to peak performance right as those fall temps come in. And then, you know, your kid gets sick or you go on a work trip or maybe you just are low energy or you have a little injury. I mean, there's a million things that could disrupt the ideal training plan. So how do you deal with that? I learned how to rely on my technique a lot more in the last two years from not training. Um, I've taken extended hmm. trips to Smith Rock and to Portrato Chico, where I was mostly just guiding and climbing really low grades. So I decided to train on the wall and be like, okay, since I'm doing a pretty high, high number of pitches, but are way below my level, what can I do? Work on my footwork. And because I've always been such a strong, like physically strong climber, I rely a lot on upper body and strength, um, but I didn't have that. So I started relying more on, you know, the technique and, and balance and things like that. And I've seen a huge difference on my climbing, actually. Like, I feel like I can still climb at a high level just relying on those things. Yeah, that's pretty major. When, when you're able to take away your biggest strength than other other aspects start to try to kind of pull the weight. And so then when your peak strength does come back, of course, you'll still have that technique. You'll still have that footwork. I want to dig more into that, but I want to stay focused on training for just a second here. During the pandemic, and you were able to train a ton uh, because you were kind of locked down, what what areas of training were a struggle for you, even when you had all the time? Oh, I, I really, really suck at trekking. I am not that kind of, like, you know, maybe it comes from like, I've never been to school. Um, like I never been to college. I don't know. But like, there's something about trekking and, and being, you know, writing everything down and being like, oh, I did hang, you know, this is the temperature and this is my max weight. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do that. Right. right? 
And so like the hangboarding part of things is kind of complicated because it's never being tracked. And what track, like I deal with insomnia, right? So that's my tracker is like, I slept well, I'm going to push hard. If I didn't sleep well, I need to like learn that today. I'm not going to hang on that two finger pocket, like forget it, you know? And so definitely like being able to track progress for me, it was just like, this, this is just not going to work and I'm not going to do it. And then there's a motivation part where People are like, oh, but I'm not motivated. But most of us are not motivated most of the time anyway. You just got to know that you need to do it and just kind of like stick with it. And it's going to suck for a little bit, but you're going to be glad you did when you're done. Yeah, it's interesting with the tracking there because, you know, climbers tend to be in some sense a little bit type A or, or even OCD when it comes to tracking and keeping spreadsheets and keeping our journals. And I think that can be really helpful uh, sometimes, but it can also be overkill. It can almost pull focus away from what's at the heart of training, which is just stimulating the system and getting these adaptations so that you can go outside. And so, you know, with you kind of being on the other side of that coin, are you keeping track in any way? Because I feel I'm so inconsistent and always trying to catch up to what I've done in the past. Um, I'm always just trying to like catch up and and see how hard I can try today. That's all I can do um, at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm really hopeful that in the future things will change and I can actually dedicate a lot more time to training, but that's not the reality at this point. And so I just try my freaking hardest at that given moment. Um, and it's funny because maybe it's because I'm really bad at fingerboarding because I love tracking weights and pull-ups because I'm really good at it, right? And so there's uh. that thing of like, I think same with like being <laughs> on the wall when you just absolutely hate slab, that's me, and love the steep stuff, right? You're just always going to be inclined to like climb more of the steep stuff because it, it appeals to you. And so like, I'm a very physically strong person and I can, I can do pretty heavy weighted pull-ups and I can do pretty heavy deadlifting just naturally. And so... I'm way more inclined to just like, okay, I'm going to add five pounds because it's probably more fun for me. I fall into that camp as well. Like when I, especially like even when I go to the climbing gym, I know I should probably work on that sloper problem or that slab problem because I hate them. But I'm usually like in the cave working on steep buckets and three finger drag because it's more like Red River Gorge style climbing. And I know I should push myself into those things, but but I, I tend not to as maybe as much as I should. How, how do you look at that? I don't know. Like if I'm going to work on slab and the techie stuff, I'd much rather do that outside for some reason. I feel like I learn a lot more doing a very techie route outside than trying like a very techie something indoors. I just, I feel like there's more opportunity for feet and friction outside where I'm just not dry firing and like hitting my chins everywhere in the gym. (laughs) There's just something about that, that I'm way more inclined. Like if I feel like I need to climb slab, like, let me go climb some, climb some granite. Um, but none of this slab yeah. thing in the gym like appeals to me very much because most of the time it doesn't feel translatable. Like, you know, most of the time I feel like I just need like that, like single leg, like squat strength. So I'm going to do that instead and really work on like my power and pushing with my feet. So like on, on the more steep stuff, because 
I always feel like I need to get better at that anyway. I totally agree. I think people who enjoy slab climbing in gyms are a sick bunch. I don't, I don't trust them one bit. Hundred <laughs> percent agree with you. So on if that. you're listening and you like climbing slab in the gym, send send me and Maisie an email or a video of you actually having fun. I I just don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> or maybe it's just because I don't like it. Now you mentioned something before we move on to the next chapter. You mentioned sleep, and when you get good sleep, you know you can train harder, try harder. Uh, maybe there's a little bit more psych there. And so I, I want to just peel that back a little bit. And, and how do you look at the concept of rest between workouts or sleep um, as it pertains to your training? Yeah. So when I started climbing, obviously I was much younger, 26, right? Woohoo. And so I, uh, I was able to just hit the gym like back to back to back to back and be totally fine with it. But I also didn't really deal with like insomnia or anything like that. So I was at mm -hmm. least resting a little bit. Um, now, like things have changed so much and I've learned to listen to my body and kind of scale down a lot more. Um, and so I've been like very specific, like I really need to understand, like if I'm feeling so tired. If I didn't get enough sleep, what really is the point? I'm probably just going to go to the gym or climb and injure myself. So it's not worth it at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's all about listening to your body. More is not always more, right? Like, and so sure. <laughs> it's just been very interesting. And so, like, I always like, okay, how much did I sleep? Like, how do I feel? Did, am I eating well? Should I go to the gym. Let's talk about nutrition a little bit more specifically now. And has there been or is there an area of nutrition that you've struggled with? Yeah. How I see myself as a climber, right? I think it correlates a lot. And a lot of times people can relate to that a lot. Um, because I've always been a stronger looking person, even though I'm like 5'3", I'm like built up, right? And, but anytime I'm around other climbers, they're 15, 20 pounds lighter than I am. Girls that are my height mm. or, or taller. And it really, I really struggle with just being okay with myself at that moment. And I've been struggling with that for a long time. Um, but at that point, you still have to remember that you have your strengths and, and they're different. Um, and so with nutrition, um, after like a lot of therapy, I realized it was because I've always didn't ha consistently have food growing up, like available that mm -hmm. after I moved to the U.S. and had abundance, I I felt like I always had to eat everything that was in front of me. <laughs> yeah. So I like eating for me is like this, this struggle. And I, I spent a lot of time learning about people's brain and why we eat so much and, and, you know, how we view food and all these things. Like, trust me, I've spent hundreds of hours like on this subject because it's so important for me to understand my own brain and how it works and I've also struggled a lot with like trying different diets and seeing what works for me um and so like I, I got to a point where I'm like I am vegan right and 
no, it didn't work for me. And I, so I had to go through like a food allergy test and all these things to figure out why it wasn't working. And, and I was like, oh yeah, my body just doesn't accept all these kinds of food. And it has changed throughout the year. So our body's changed too. And so, you know, it's just trying to understand what your body accepts as fuel and, and just going with that. First of all, I really appreciate you opening up and sharing about the struggle that you've had with regard to kind of your emotional relationship with food. You mentioned you studied your brain or your mind and how that works and how it was maybe responding to some of that early childhood experience or trauma and that that has helped you. And then you also mentioned it kind of through this lens of comparing your body type to other climbers that you're seeing. And I think that's certainly a, a common occurrence um, in the climbing community and other sports as well. So I'm curious to to understand a little bit more about what you learned or at least how you started your journey about learning more, because it may help others who are dealing with similar struggles. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing for me was like literally YouTube, right? For me, it was like, I'm just going to start watching every video I can about our behavior as a society and why do we approach food the way we do and why some people struggle more than other people. And most of the time it is from that childhood trauma or sometimes it mm -hmm. is for, from culture. And so all those things were really important for me to understand. And first of all, understand that you're not alone and that you're not the only person struggling. And uh, sometimes food is also an addiction and how, how do you control food instead of letting it control you and control your, your habits? And it's not easy, right? You have to constantly be telling yourself, I'm not just going to eat this to eat this because I don't need this, right? It's mm -hmm. not going to make me feel good and it will be there tomorrow. And that was the hardest thing is it will be there tomorrow. It is okay. Like, just step away from it. It's not going to serve you any good right now. So. I think learning that and constantly telling you that it's not, it's not that you're ever over it, I don't think, is that you know better now. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I think it is, you know, it's a kind of a lifelong journey. I think when, when people have this kind of deep emotional connection to um, an issue or a challenge or a struggle, and it sounds like, you know, you've, you've gotten to a much healthier place with it. And so for you to open up and share about that, I think is really meaningful. You did mention that you've, explored different types of diets you tried vegan wasn't working or you you know you had these allergy tests where have you settled what's what's working for you now with regards to your diet or maybe take me through kind of what a typical day might look like with regard to your nutrition yeah so i actually don't eat in the mornings um because i feel like i have a lot more energy um without it which is Interesting, but it has taken me so many years to explore these things, right? And so, first of all, I think it's very important for you, like, to try different things and see what works for you because we all work very differently. Um, and so I try to not eat super early in the morning. I try to not eat super late before bed, too, because of that insomnia problem as well. Mm. But one of the things that... um my food allergy test that is I'm sensitive to grains and starches. <laughs> so, and, and soy, you know, and corn and, and peanuts and like a lot of these things. 
And so basically a lot of like the super um, heavily based carbohydrates. So my my diet is more like in a paleo um, side of things. And I'm going to tell you, like, I do cheat, you know, um, sometimes I want sugar, which I never feel good afterward. Like I noticed that after I go like weeks without sugar, if I eat something sweet, I feel really depressed and not mentally, mm. like not because I mentally know I hate it, because if I eat something, it's because I really like it. But it's just, I feel this depression and I'm like, it's that sugar talking. And so the paleo has worked amazingly. Um, I feel like my mood is better. My arthritis have fully disappeared. Um, my sleep gets a lot better when I'm on it. Um, and the problem is staying consistent, you know, when you go elsewhere and you're like, oh man, I know there, there's a carrot cake that I love. I'm going to have a piece of it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my God. Like I love Kentucky. carrot cake so much. Yes. The best carrot cake is in, in Kentucky, in Campton. This, this lady has this bakery and I'm just like, this is the best ever. And I'm, I'm never going to say no to that, you know? And <laughs> yes. So yeah, I just eat lots of like, lots of vegetables and eggs and, and meat. We, my husband hunts. So we have like we have deer in our fridge and, and things like that. So, you know, just try to stay with that kind of diet. And after 40 days testing it last year, I was just like, oh, my God, this has been life changing. Like, I feel so good. My digestion is perfect. Like, why haven't I tried this before? <laughs> so let's talk now about tactics or technique. And we touched a little bit about this earlier when you're talking about footwork and, and we can come back to that because I think that could be um, something that we we explore more as well. But first, I want to talk about struggle and something that I've read that you've written about and talked about in the past was that oftentimes it has been hard for you to find a partner to get out and project with, whether it's working on something limit or just to get out and try new things. And I think that's, you know, that can be relatable for, for a lot of people, um, especially if you're trying to work on something and maybe your typical belay partners or climbing partners are not into it or they're into something at a different crag. So, yeah, I'd like to maybe kick things off with that. And, and has that been something that you feel has been a challenge and, and perhaps limited you? Yeah, um, that has been the hardest thing. Um, when I started climbing, I started climbing kind of on my own. Like I didn't know anybody that climbed, so I just joined this organization. But from there, when you start getting really good at the gym, at least, and you want to get outside, you don't really know anybody who's trying hard or or climbing at their limit or projecting. So like, how do you approach something that's like so unknown to you? And so I think that's when it started being an issue um, to a point where obviously we're going to go through fear later, but um, it was really hard for me to apply all that like strength um, that I had indoors to, on the outside because I didn't know anybody pushing their limits, right? I didn't really know how to do mm -hmm. that. So I just kind of stuck with like the low end of things and thought that's all I could do. Um, fast forward, moving to Montana and finally climbing like my my hardest grade ever. Um, it was like the same problem, right? Who's doing it? Okay, nobody. But I want to do it. And how am I going to get support? Um, and it was very like, 
all over the place. You know, sometimes I'm getting a belayer who has zero experience actually like billing or billing a project, you know, <laughs> and I just have to just be like, please be patient. I know you don't understand this process, but neither do I actually, but I'm trying really hard here because I was told that I have to do it a certain way. And so I mm -hmm. don't know if I actually know how to project actually yet, because I've only put in time into like a route or two ever like and that's five days and so I, was this I'm um like, was this heaven and hell yeah between heaven and hell it took me like five between five heaven and hell days. so that's a 13b i mm -hmm. think it is yeah that's right so super hard and impressive and you did you say you only projected for five days on that yeah yeah it was wow because it's very much my style, right? I'm like physically strong. And if you find that route that suits you, then that will make the process a lot easier, right? So it's a really mm -hmm. hard, long boulder problem. Starts easy, hard boulder problem, ends easy. I'm not an enduro climber. I've, I don't even understand endurance climbing, right? So if I can find something that I can go through a boulder problem, and be done with it, I'm, the chances I'm going to be successful are much higher. And there's another route that right. I know I can send next time I go out, which we're going to go this weekend. So hopefully I send it um, if I don't bust my shoulder out because it's such a shouldery route. But um, it's the same thing. It's one boulder problem, easy climbing, and an easier boulder problem up high. And so the chances are so much higher because I have rests in between. Well, I think, you know, projecting as a concept is really interesting, you know, as we're in this tactical chapter here, um, you know, for you to send the hardest thing you've done in five days likely indicates that it's not the hardest thing you could do, right? You know, people spend 20, 30 days, multiple seasons on projects and, and some don't, some send quickly. You know, I remember when I spoke with Drew Mack in season one, he was talking about Omaha Beach. Um, which is, you know, really tough route here, here at the red. And mm -hmm. I think he said he put in like 70 days or something. And he was like, you know, I think that was just an indication that I wasn't quite ready. You know, most <laughs> people would, would, would put in less days. Um, and so there is a balance point in there, but if you're, if you're knocking down your hardest grade in five days, that probably indicates that it's, it's not your hardest grade. Yeah. And so where do you want to go with your projecting? Because you said you don't quite know how to project just yet. I don't know if I do either, to be perfectly honest. It's hard as a weekend warrior to even wrap my head around taking on something that could take a really long time. I guess my hardest project was probably, I think it was like I put in eight days on Mercy the Huff, which is this great oh, like classic 12B. Yes, yes. Such a good yeah, route. such a oh my god, so good. Uh, no. A very pumpy, but you know, three stacked boulder problems. You know, you know the route. So yeah, you know, I mean, I had to dial in all all the rests and all the beta to to get to the chains. Um, and it was so fun to do. I, I guess I I'm, what I'm saying is I don't know if I know how to project either. So I'd love to learn, you know, kind of where you're at and where you're where you want to be, where you think you want to go with your projecting goals. I started with like that mindset of so like i think one and a half years into climbing i sent my first 512a outside thinking it was a 10d because i hadn't even climbed 510 on lead <laughs> <laughs> right the, and then just it goes to show maybe like, that's maybe that's the key it's, oh it's huge like not just really take the knowing. grades off 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just looked at it and I'm like, oh, look at this. It's my style. It's steep. And I'm not going to like be super afraid of falling because that was the biggest barrier, right? And so, right. so I did it. Lauren is like 12A and was over the moon. And what I did yeah. the next two seasons, dedicated myself into climbing 511s clean because I hadn't, I, I didn't have that under my belt, right? And so mm. every time I go to a crag or a trip, I'm focused on more climb, trying everything and trying different movements than sending anything. I've never been a big into sending routes person. I'm always about building the pyramid and climbing all these things and learning how to move on different styles and all these things. But I got to a point where I'm like, oh, you're done building the pyramid. Go try hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so like now I'm just like obsessed over like, I just want to send a bunch of 513s and I also need the time and I need the fitness. Like, how do I get there? You know, and so I have all these roots that I want to project. And I'm just like so excited to do them. And the season here is so short because, hey, it might snow next week. I don't know. It's September already, right? And it's Montana. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so there, you know, I, I do want to push myself. It's fun. You know, it's fun to like push yourself and, and do something that's hard that you never thought you could do. Like that's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with like climbing hard. It's it's beautiful. I and mean, that's why we all do it. You, you mentioned there's a few projects that you're looking at. Are there shorter term projects, ones that might go in a session or two? And then is there like, hey, this might take multiple seasons. How do you like to look at your goals? Oh, God. So I've never even thought about something that could take multiple seasons <laughs> because I don't even understand how that would work. And I don't know what grade mm. that would fit in. Because let's be honest, yes, I've sent like 13B, but there are 13Bs that are not my style or that requires like high level of fitness that it could probably take me multiple seasons, right? Sure. And so, yeah, I don't... I. For me, is that, that fear of not having consistency or a partner or not being home when the season's good. So it's too scary for me to jump into it and be like, this is the route I'm going to do. But there is a route I bolted that I know it's pretty hard and it would take me a long time to do that I haven't even had a chance to go like put the work in. Right. And so... And I'd love to do that route. And I really hope I do it before we move out of Montana. But most of the routes I am trying right now are all like low 13s that I know like I can do it in a few sessions because it's the time I have, right? Like right now I have the most time I've had at home this year, which is a full month. <laughs> it's like, wow, look at me. <laughs> I have 30 days and good luck finding partners. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not a lot. Well, I, I think that, you know, that's super relatable to me. And I think a lot of people who are listening that aren't professional climbers, because, you know, whether we're having to take trips to a climbing area or whether it's, you know, somewhat nearby, I live in Louisville, so it's a couple hours for me to get to um, the red, but I'm still, you know, I'm only able to get out there maybe once a week or a few times a month, depending on what's happening with life. So it is a little daunting to say, well, I'm going to take on a project that could take me 30 goes, you know, 30 days, because that's, you know, that's multiple years. Um, 
And so finding, I think finding those short-term projects are good too. Hey, maybe this could go today or maybe this could go in a couple of days. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel it's fun to clip chains, you know, regardless of the grade. <laughs> yeah, I I always tell this to my friends. I have a smile on my face even when I clip chains of 5'9". Because you know what? When I started, I couldn't do that. And look at me, like I overcame the fear and the obstacles and my body got me up there. And it's, it's climbing is beautiful. And so like, I'm always like, like happy and pleased with myself with any grade because we should, because why not? (laughs) Otherwise, like, why are you climbing? All right, Maisa, let's shift to the mental game chapter here, mindset. And it's really what sets climbing apart from so many other sports um, in particular. And so I've got some specific questions, uh, some some areas that I want to explore with you. But before we get to that, let me just open it up. Where have you struggled? Where do you feel has been a big challenge for you in the mental game chapter here? Yeah, well, so I was terrified of heights um, to the point where crossing a bridge and looking down was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to look down because, you know, (laughs) you go where you look at or something like that, you know? Right. (laughs) And so the first time I went climbing on this little mountaineer is like Kingdor Wall. I only went halfway up and I was like, hell no, bring me down. Like, this is awful. Um, But there's just something about pushing yourself a little bit at a time. That was very cool. Um, But I mostly just like top roped. Um, outside for the first two years before I sent that 512 you know it was like all about top roping because every time I was put on a sharp end I would freak out like I was fine on the first two boats and then I would just freak out and come down and most Mm -hmm. of the time I would be crying because I was so terrified and absolutely like upset for upsetting the people that were trying to push me right because sometimes you want to be like I want to show that I can do this or whatever and you just didn't have the heart to go for it because you thought you were going to die right if you just fell a little bit above your boat (laughs) and so that was that was huge and the only thing that made me overcome that was trying something that was hard enough that I knew I was going to fall, but I was mm. going to fall trying, right? Like a lot of people say, you just climb a lot below your grade and just have a lot of lead and stuff. And I'm like, no, you have way too much time to think about what could. But if you're jumping into something that you have to be 100% focused on trying really hard, you don't have time to think about what if I fall. So it has helped me tremendously. Yeah. Yeah, this is really interesting. I, I like this. This is a totally different perspective, I think. And, and by the way, fear of falling just gripped me for years. Um, as I've talked about on the show, I, I learned how to climb, you know, trad slab granite out west. And then when I moved to the red and, and I just like my brain exploded with steep climbing and taking these airy falls, which of course now are awesome, but at the time really freaked me out. But for me, I kind of went through this process of getting on easier climbs and trying to climb above a bolt and letting go. And 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 you're right, you do have a lot of time to think about it. And that, that did work for me. I mean, I, I really managed my fear of falling quite well, but it, it did take a process. But I think this perspective is really fascinating. And for some people who are listening, it might resonate with them more, which is essentially you 
chose before you even stepped off the ground and, and pulled onto the rock, you were essentially deciding that you were going to fall, but you were going to climb so hard that you might not know when you were going to fall. Am, am, am I capturing that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I learned from some people that you have to make a decision before you start climbing a route and it's whether mm. or not you're just going to push through it. Or if you're just going to second guess and like check it out or whatever, right? Like before you sure. start climbing, you always make a decision because that will really set you up for success or not. And and the decision I made is that I was just going to give it my all. And when you want something so bad, I think you try much, much harder. And then you start seeing the possibilities a little bit more. And once you start taking those falls, especially on a route that you're starting to know and taking falls, you're like, this fall isn't too bad. I can do this again. Now I understand. I go to the red and I jump on a route that I haven't fallen before. And then it's so steep that you're just going to place your feet and you're like, oh, that's where my last clip is. Shit. Right. And so <laughs> I, I mean, I froze in the red on my second trip there in 2019. I couldn't climb for shit. I was terrified of climbing mm -hmm. anything then the next year went like watching a friend pushing herself so hard set me up to want to do the same thing and look as good as she did on the wall and guess what i was taking whips like a boss <laughs> and yeah. i was trying and guess what i was standing so much more because if you just try you even when you think you're gonna fall you might surprise yourself so <laughs> it was good. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I think we've all experienced that. Like you get, you get to the point where you're pumped out of your mind and you're kind of paralyzed on the rock and you're like, okay, I'm going to fall. And then, so you just kind of call to your partner, you know, falling and you take the fall. And that, that happens, you know, quite often with me. Um, rarely, but far more fulfilling is when I get to the point where I'm pumped out of my mind, I'm paralyzed on the wall and I'm like, well, I'm just going to throw for that next hold just to see what the hell happens. And all of a sudden I'm hanging on to that next hold and it's a jug and I get a shake and I'm still moving up. And it's like, it's the coolest thing, but the mind comes in and like, at, like there's a point at which you kind of decide I'm going to fall and you just kind of you don't even try that next move. It's basically you're giving up, but you, you yeah. won't tell yourself that you're giving up, right? You were just too tired, too pumped, right? Right. But most of the time I said I failed and my friends are like, no, no, you gave up. And it, yes. it's good to hear that. Yeah, I, I think it really is, you know, because it's just so often our, I think our bodies are, are more capable than our minds will want us to think we can be. You know, Tommy Caldwell talked about that um, earlier this season when he was kind of pushed past his limit in... Kyrgyzstan, for example. And and so often I feel like we might skip a sketchy top out on a boulder or yell down take because, you know, our mind is is just wanting to protect us, which is understandable. But but oftentimes you can do that other move. And if you work through it, then you can do it again and again. And sometimes, you know, it just takes our partner, maybe somebody down in the boulders or our belay partner just yelling up and being like, you got this. Just go. I need that yell in my life all the time. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You also mentioned confidence and that you'd had some some struggles with confidence and how has that impacted your climbing and how has it changed you you know over the years now as a climber? Oh boy, I 
confidence is something that I've always like obviously struggled with because where I grew up people of color like me weren't like looked up on so much you know it was all about the cute blonde white girls they were cute and they could be a model but me it was just had all these nicknames and it was totally fine to have all those nicknames and be called like darky and all these things right um and so zero confidence obviously right so poor not a lot of food and look at me like (laughs) and so moving to the U.S. already changed a lot just because I I just felt like I was more exotic looking so I wasn't so looked down as I was growing up but starting to climb has also changed a lot because I felt like I had finally found something I could embrace right because I already didn't have a college degree. I was already cleaning houses. So it was just really hard for me. And climbing was that thing that made me feel strong and 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 powerful and that I could do, you know, that I was getting really good at. And so I, maybe that's why, like, when people ask me what I did, I just said I was a climber because I could have this identity that was different and, and it looked good. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you're just, you're that same person and, and it's just how you look at yourself at the end of the day. And so for me, like, I, I think that translated a lot into climbing too, that lack of confidence and like not wanting to climb something hard in front of people because I didn't want to fail. So I just always Mm -hmm. stuck with the easier stuff. Right. So not allowing myself to push myself because I didn't want to fail in front of people. And I still struggle with that a lot, even in a climbing gym, right? Because people sometimes have these high expectations of of me and what I should be climbing and, and how I should be performing. Is there anything that you do, you know, when you step up to a climb to try to clear that away? Is there a mantra or a meditation or do you have any sort of practice that helps you to try to to get some of those negative voices or build up your own confidence? No, which is, it's it's funny, right? Like, yeah, there is like the whole like, like pressure scene, which is so weird because come on, you know, it's climbing. It's supposed to be hard, you know, and and failing is like part of the process, you know? And so like, I, I love people, right? And I feel like I'm such a like people pleaser. And the first Mm. thing I do is like to take all that intimidation away. I'm just going to try to make friends with the whole Craig. And be like, yeah, I'm just going to suck at this thing right now. (laughs) And just watch me flail. And maybe sometimes that's bad because I'm already setting up bad expectations on myself too by telling everyone I'm just going to suck at this, you know. Uh But it's, it's again, I've always said this, like before I had huge fear of falling. Now I have huge fear of failing. And and mm-hmm. it is because you're afraid of failing and it's that ego, right? That's talking to you and being like, oh, you know, there's people watching. Like you should, you should not even try this route right now. And I've not tried so many things I wanted to try because I didn't want to fail. And if there is one thing I could change about my entire climbing indoors and outdoors is like to just not give a shit and just try what you want to try, because that would have changed everything and I would probably be a way better, stronger climber right now. 
So let's shift now to kind of our final chapter here, which is just things that you're passionate about, things that bring you purpose outside of climbing. And what is that for you, Maiza? I got into route development, which is a pain in the ass, but it's really cool. I'm sorry, you can do the beep there. Um. <laughs> no, it's fine. There's no beep. It's just a podcast. It's okay, a pain in the ass. Awesome. Well, let me, let's let's ass. talk about that. I, I I would love to learn about this because I first of all, thank you. I, I really have such respect and appreciation for route developers. Um, you know, I just get to show up and climb, which is great. The work that folks like yourself and others, Jonathan Segrist is on the show this season. And, you know, just like, it takes a lot of friggin' work to, to, to create routes. Why do you do it, first of all? Because it just, it does seem like it'd be a heck of a lot easier to just go out and climb. So, so why are you drawn to that? Yeah, well, so route development, man, I've, I'm a worker, right? I, I like to build, I like to do things. I like, I like to work with my body. I can't work with my brain. I get too exhausted. So I need to be on the go. And climbing is, is beautiful and it's amazing, but I always feel like I need to do more. And I, as soon as I saw this rock, and I was just like, I need to put routes here. Like, I don't, I don't care how much work it takes. And guess what? Hmm. I decided to just bolt quartzite. It's ridiculously hard. It's <laughs> got to be so hard to, 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 to get into. Yeah, I remember calling Jonathan and be like, so so it's quartzite, like, what do you do? And he's just like, so you need to change your drill bit every inch. <laughs> Otherwise, oh it's going to melt. And he was right. I melted so many drill bits. And it was, you know, it's it's a fun process to just be out there in the woods by yourself all day working so hard. And be like, oh, there's so much more work to be done. <laughs> yeah. But it's also been a very, like, beautiful, like, learning experience, you know? Because, yeah, you're going to bolt some routes that suck. Like, you can't just be like, oh, because you bolted it, it's great. No, there's some routes that you're like, you did a shitty job. <laughs> and <laughs> But it's it's a learning process, right? I'm a very, like, immature, like, I'm really a newbie into, like, this whole, like, development world and... I figured that this would be like a place where I would learn and shit, there's a route there that I'm really excited to go back next week because I still haven't put the first ascent in and I went rope soloing and I, I thought, I'm like, this gotta be 513. This crux is so hard. And I just couldn't figure out a way on this route for like a full day. Like I just couldn't figure it out. And then finally I went back and I unlocked like this knee bar beta that made the routes like grades and grades and grades easier it was it's such a cool process to be like that's so awesome i get to be the first person to climb this thing and and to name this thing and and so again what a privilege to be able to do that still that's so kick-ass yeah I, I can see the reward for that because you're creating so many great times for 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 the community this there's going to be so many happy people that that will get to climb on something that didn't exist before you put in the work but also then yeah personally to be able to spend that time work really hard and then be the first to do it yeah um that sounds badass can you tell me i'm i'm interested to hear cuz i'm i'm assuming most routes were bolted by men or are bolted by men is there as a female climber and you're short you know relatively speaking right you're 53 is is there like a 
a thought to accessibility when you're bolting something that maybe, you know, be, now somebody can climb this in a way that is meant to be climbed for, for a smaller climber or a woman. It is honestly one of the biggest thought processes. And I was like, I was like on the ball, like rappelling down and like checking movement and marking where I kind of wanted the boat to be. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. I get to choose where I put my bolt <laughs> because you tell people don't get to tell me what stance I get to clip from because I really don't have to be on my tiptoes thinking I'm so run out and I still can't reach this boat. Um, I've actually, yeah. there is this route in Washington where I used to climb a lot that um, you were on this like rest ledge and you were already pretty high up um, from your last boat. And and then if you were tall, you can just reach this clip way above your head for you to start pulling on this overhanging. But if you're mm. anywhere between like five, four and lower, you have to climb some pretty like hard moves and on really, really like insecure holds to get the clip. And so I saw this girl that's like five, two, and she took a terrible fall and she hurt herself pretty bad from trying to do that because... She just wasn't able to get that quick shot and before, you know, and, and so these are things that we kind of have to think about, like, what about the shorter um, people? Like, how how can they just enjoy this route instead of just being terrified and be like, am I actually going to get the clip this time? Or let's see, you know, like, it's just it's just not fun if you're thinking about I may or may not injure myself. I think climbing is meant to be more enjoyable than like scary. Right. And so... <laughs> Yeah, sure. that's and then obviously you want to find that little line. Sometimes I'm like a little boat. My husband's like, you should put a boat there. I'm like, oh, come on. You're close to the top and it's overhanging. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, so you want to be bold. But when you're in your climbing there, you're like, I should have put the boat here. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you have the power. Um, you have that's really power. fascinating to think about. Because, of course, it changes the difficulty. It, it could even change the grade in a sense that if if... I've got, if I've clipped a, a, a draw above my head, I'm going to have absolute confidence to pull a thin roof move. Whereas if I haven't been able to, I'm going to be over gripping, I'm going to be freaking out. So yeah, that does, it does really make sense that um, if you're bolting and you've got smaller climbers in mind, it could really change the game for them. Yeah. If I had the time, I'd probably be developing more than I would be climbing right now <laughs> because it's so rewarding. But yeah. it's like, how do I manage that when I also need to work and work is not available here where I'm at? Well, yeah, I hear you. And and it really is just such a commitment to put bolts up like that. And I'm so grateful that you do it. The whole climbing community is grateful that you do it. And I think especially bringing in the perspective of a female climber, um, it's really unique. So so thank you for doing that, Maiza. And, and I kind of want to stay on the social issues here and talk about She Moves Mountains, which is an organization that I know you're involved in, but I don't know much about it. Can, can you tell us a little bit about She Moves Mountains? She Moves Mountains started, um, I think, 2017 out of just lack of a women's only kind of group, you know, where clinics were thought where women could feel really empowered in their environment because sometimes they just wouldn't push themselves or wouldn't have mm. the confidence. And so... I mean, it is a beautiful community. And last spring, I saw the owner and I had gone to one of their 
crack climbing clinics because I really suck at it, or at least I did back then. <laughs> and I, I was like, man, all your clinics look so good and all your retreats are beautiful. I wish I could make it, but I can't obviously afford it. And she said, are you kidding me? You could be one of my guides. And I was like, oh, that sounds beautiful, but I don't have any of the certifications. And she was like, I'll support you and I'll, I'll pay for all your certifications. And I was like, wow, wow. It was awesome. And it was like so quick, right? Like months later, I was doing <laughs> all the courses. And then a few months later, I did my exam and passed and started doing a lot of work with them. And it has, as a hustler, it has also helped me tremendously financially to be one of the guides, but also be in that very powerful, like, environment with women that, just like me, struggled with fear of falling or struggled with confidence. And, and, uh, and now I know better that I can finally have the voice to, like, empower them and, and teach them the things I've learned throughout the years and and gosh like going nationally and and hang out with these people and drink wine and go climbing all day you know it has it has <laughs> been so awesome like then that's why we're going to Greece you know um so it's just been super exciting to to be in this beautiful environment and i i'm so thankful for Shimo's mountains <laughs> It sounds like an incredible organization incredible opportunity for women to get out and not only learn great new skills, but also just to have unforgettable life experiences. Um, I, I can't wait to hear more about this trip that you're taking to Greece. And hey, maybe one of these women that you're working with will get psyched on route development and you can, you know, you can have another bolter out there with you. Yeah. I mean, I honestly have a lot of women that are super excited to do it and they want to come to Montana and join me. Um, it has been more about the time that they're like, when can I block um, two weeks? And I'm like, oh, I don't know yet. I'm here, I may not be here. So it's, just, <laughs> it's been so hard. Well, I know you're an incredibly busy person. I'll let you get back to melting drill bits into quartz or <laughs> squeezing in a hangboard routine. It's just been such a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up our chat with the delightful and inspiring Maiza Lima. What'd you all think of this convo? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at Maiza Lima Rock, at Ryan Devlin Outside, and at The Struggle Climbing Show. Now, in a second, I'm going to hit you with my takeaways and hook you all up with some swag. But first, let's support the brands that are supporting the struggle. I love these guys. Shout out to Fizzy Vantage for being the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle. Y'all try Endurex to boost your endurance, stamina, and recovery between those repeated efforts like I am right now on my fall proj. I love this stuff, as I do all of their science-backed products. Look for it in Europe from the Epic TV online shop and in the U.S. at select gyms and, of course, at fizzyvantage.com. Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 for 15% off at checkout. And y'all remember to look for the Sirocco helmet by Petzl when you stop into your local gear shop. It is the best of the best when it comes to protecting your melon and going above and beyond the standards for top and side protection. They make the best stuff, whether it's for your kids or for yourself. I love these guys. Access the inaccessible at Petzl.com. 
And also the Psyche is high for friction labs. It's what top athletes use and trust for dependable, long-lasting grip. My personal favorite is their Gorilla Grip, but they got a flavor for everyone. So pop on over to frictionlabs.com and use code STRUGGLE20 for 20% off your first order. Chalk up less and climb more with Friction Labs. Lots of takeaways from this chat, y'all. Um, maybe most impactful for me personally is Maiza's realization there in the mental game chapter that if she could change one thing about her climbing, whether it was indoors or outdoors, it's about giving less shits. And by caring less about what others think, she feels that she could try harder. She can climb harder. She can have more fun. And of course, um, that's easier said than done. But I am personally going to work on absorbing some of Maiza's infectious stoke to see what happens. Whether I'm clipping chains on a 5.9 or a 12D like I'm working on right now, hopefully I can just stay focused. Stay focused on my climbing, stay focused on trying hard, and stay less focused on what everybody else who's hanging around the crag or the gym are thinking or saying or doing. Because you know what? They're probably just staying focused on their own stuff too. Well, that clips the anchors on this episode. And I just want to say a big hello and a huge thank you to all of the new patrons that are listening right now. The Struggle Patron community is growing fast right now. Many of you um, super psyched about Drew Max Pro Clinic that came out last week on endurance. And of course, that's only available to patrons. We got many more of those coming up with the likes of Favia Dubik, Jordan Cannon, Tyler Nelson, and many other past guests focusing on a pro clinic subject that they are an expert in, and I'm really psyched to release those to the patron community. Would you, my wonderful listener who's not a patron, consider supporting as a patron? If you got the means, it would mean a lot. I really appreciate it. For about the price of a cheap beer each month, you'll get all the perks, as well as that warm, fuzzy feeling that comes with doing something kind. So me and my dogs that are snoring at my feet right now, packed into the old podcast slash utility closet here late at night as I'm recording and editing this, we thank you. Swing on over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show to check it all out. Also, if you're so inclined and this costs nothing, it would be awesome if you would rate and review the show. I'd love a five-star review if you think it's worth it. And um, also share it with your people, people at your gym, your belay partner, your climbing partners, your parents, the people at the grocery store. Um, share the podcast around. Let's keep this community growing. Thank you. You're awesome. The Struggle is a proud member of the Plugtone Audio Collective and is carbon neutral in partnership with the Honol Foundation. I'm your host, Ryan Devlin, and this show was produced by myself and Mary Mathis. The struggle makes you stronger. Let's climb hard and do good things in the world. See y'all.